0: We're Missy Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. If you remember, Paul was in a city called Athens last week in chapter 17, which is in Greece, and it was a very philosophical town, very smart people, and he was speaking there. And now he goes to a much different city, just about 50 miles uh, west of it, I believe, called Corinth. So if you're familiar with the letter to the Corinthians, it's in our Bible, 1 and 2 Corinthians. Uh, this story we're reading today is telling us about Paul's time with them that led him to write those letters later on. Okay? So I'm just going to read uh, part of the chapter. We're going to read a lot of it up to verse 23. And then we'll pray and we'll talk a little bit about it. Acts 18, starting in verse 1. After this, he, that's Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, that was the Caesar of Rome at the time, Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. That means he's the rescuing king that God had promised. Since they were of the same occupation, verse 3, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks When Silas and Timothy, if you remember, Silas and Timothy were their friends who he got separated from. And when they were in Athens, he was without them the whole time. So we're reintroduced to them. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to the preaching of the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, the rescuing king God promised. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told them, Your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Gentiles, remember, just means other nations, everybody who's not Jewish. So he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. He stayed there a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the tribunal. This man, they said, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. As Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or a serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews, but if these are questions about words, names, and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of such things. So he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But none of these things mattered to Gallio. After staying for some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria accompanied by Priscilla, by Priscilla and Aquila. He shaved his head, this is why I did it too, at Sancria, because of a vow he had taken. When they reached Ephesus, he left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and debated with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he declined but said farewell and added, I'll come back to you again if God wills. Then he set sail from Ephesus. On landing at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church, then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he set out traveling through one place after another in the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all of the disciples. That was a long bit of text, wasn't it? But this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word today. And we are grateful for this community and that we can gather together. We're grateful for your spirit being present with us. We ask God that you would, soften all of our hearts to be able to hear your word and to be transformed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. So several years ago, I was in the city of New Orleans. Now, if you've ever been there, it's a pretty incredible city, but it also happens to be a very uh, low-income and impoverished city that has been hit with disaster after disaster. And we were driving through, my friend and I, speaking at different schools across the country, and we had seen New York, and we had been to Boston, and we were coming down through New Orleans. And we had to find a hotel because it was getting late, and so I started searching for a hotel on my phone, and we price-lined one, and we found one that happened to be on Bourbon Street in the French Quarter. Now, that's like the hot spot of New Orleans. If you think of Mardi Gras, that's where the party's going down. Fortunately, this wasn't Mardi Gras, but what we didn't think about is it was Halloween. And it gets just as great on Halloween as it does during Mardi Gras. So we show up, we check into our hotel, it's a nice hotel, and it's like, I don't know, four o'clock, but we've been driving for like 15 hours already. So we get out and we we start walking around and checking out the city, and it's pretty cool looking. If you've been to Disneyland, you know like on Main Street, when you first walk in, how the, the buildings and everything look, they kind of pattern that after the French Quarter in New Orleans. And so we're walking through that, and it's kind of fun. And then some people come out, and they start playing some music on the street, and that's cool. And then the parade comes out, and it's like a wedding parade, and that's really fun. And then it's just like everybody just starts coming out. And the streets were packed. There were people out there doing like voodoo, witchcraft stuff, there were people out there trying to solicit, solicit us to buy lots of things we shouldn't buy, and I'll just leave it at that with kids in the room. Uh, there was lots of chaos going on, and there was a group of people marching down the street with a giant red cross shouting at everybody how they were going to hell. It was an insane night. And my friend Press and I looked at each other and were like, You want to head back to the hotel room? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> let's go back. Now, here's the interesting thing about New Orleans is a lot of people will go there, especially to that spot, for certain events that are parties, right? They, they want to go there to have a good time. But there's not a lot of people who still live there, except for the ones who couldn't afford to move away. So it seems like a very lively town when there's parties happening. Uh, but it's actually got a lot of quiet and deadness to the town, as soon as the party's over. The very next morning we walk out and the streets are littered with trash and nobody's out there. And it's kind of that way with like Las Vegas. Like if you think about Las Vegas, right? If you go to Las Vegas, there's like this party happening in the main area called the Strip, right? But none of those people live there. And I've always wondered about what would it be like to be someone who lives in a city like that, where like everyone comes in to just use your place to do all the stuff they wouldn't do in their hometown right, and to have a party and make a mess, and then leaves, and then you're kind of left there. That's kind of what Corinth was like. You know, Las Vegas has this phrase, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and it's really kind of started in Corinth. Corinth was this little town that a lot of ships came through, and there was like a, a peninsula. Do you guys know what a peninsula is? Like an island, but it's not water on the fourth side. Like water's covering three sides of it, but it's Sticking out, land sticking out from a massive land. And so what would happen is, if like, let's say my arm's the peninsula of Corinth, right? And there's sailors sailing by through the sea, instead of sailing all the way around the peninsula, that would have added weeks to their travel, they would sail up to the land, get out, get their boats off onto the land and hike it across, and it would take them three days instead of three weeks, and then stick their boat back in the water on the other side and keep going. Well, why they would get there into that land though, hey, we just saved several weeks off of our time. Let's take a break, because pulling that boat out of the water was hard. And let's hang out in Corinth. And they would do all kinds of crazy things that weren't good. Things they wouldn't do at home with their families around, right? They would do those things in Corinth. So there was really only like maybe 200,000 people in that city at the most, people believe. And less than half of them were actual residents of Corinth. Paul shows up. Now remember, he came from Athens. This was would have been like the Boston or the Manhattan of his time. It's like where all the thinkers are, right? There's universities there. It's like high-class society. And he, he's telling them about Jesus. And now he shows up to Corinth, and it's like going into Vegas. And now he, he gets to tell them about Jesus as well. But you know what's fascinating is when he gets there, Jesus needs to show up and say something to him to encourage him, right? That's what we found here in verse 9. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking, and don't be silent. Verse 10, For I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. Now, the last part, because I have many people in the city, again, there there weren't that many people staying there, but I think what he might have been saying there is like, hey, Paul, stay here because I have many people I want to come to know me in my kingdom. Like, There's going to be fruit from this work here. The last place you got ran out of that town, right? But there's going to be fruit here. Stay here. And Paul ends up staying there for a year and a half in a city where everyone else just leaves, Right? Sometimes we feel like that a little bit in Phoenix. It's a very transient city. Most people who live here aren't native to here. People come and go a lot. But even more so in Corinth. He stays there in a city where everyone leaves for a year and a half. Do you remember in Thessalonica, he was only there for like three days, right? And then there was a riot that drove him out of town. So he stays there. And there happens to be a church that grows and flourishes because of it. And that's where we get those letters of First and Second Corinthians, right? But why did God have to come? Why did, why did the Spirit of Jesus come to Paul in that vision to tell him not to be afraid of Corinth? If you think about it, like, Paul had already, if you remember earlier in Acts, he had already been stoned almost to death, right? They threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead, and then they drug him out of the city. And then he got up and he walked back into the city, in Thessalonica there was a riot and they chased him out of the town and then he went to Berea and that riot from Thessalonica followed him and they kept chasing him. He had already been thrown into prison and he saw God show up with like this earthquake that loosened the chains and opened the doors. Why would he have been afraid in Corinth? Especially when people are just coming and going. They don't care what he's saying. There's not going to be a riot stirred up against him there. Because most of them don't even live there. Here's here's what I think, you guys. I don't think Paul was afraid because of his physical harm. I don't think he was afraid because of what could have happened to him physically from other people. Now, we know he was afraid, though, because he actually starts that letter of 1 Corinthians with saying, when I came to you, you know my state that I was weary and I was afraid. Jesus didn't say these words for no reason, right? But I think what is possibly going on is the state of that city he's in, he was actually afraid of what it could do to his soul. I think he might have been afraid of how the temptations could have tugged at him over time. I Honestly, I think about if I was there in New Orleans that night and I didn't have a friend there with me, And we could say to each other, let's go back to the hotel room. This is getting crazy. What would have happened? There were some things going on that we knew were wrong. But let me tell you, sometimes those things look fun, don't they? Sometimes those things look nice. Sometimes they look appealing. And there were a lot of things going on in Corinth that people knew were wrong. They wouldn't do it in their hometown, but they were appealing. And they stopped and they stayed for a few days before they moved on. I think Paul, we're we're reminded here that he's just a normal guy. He's a regular dude. And he has temptations just like you and I do, right? And there are all kinds of things going on around him that could have tugged at him to say, hey, what about this? And don't you find it interesting that in Athens, he was kind of by himself, but as soon as he gets to Corinth, God sends him some community. Right away, we get... We get, uh, what were the names? Aquila and Priscilla, right? Now that happened through hard stuff. That happened because the Rome, uh, the Roman emperor, right, Caesar, who was in charge of everything at that time, he kicks all the Jewish people out of his city. He doesn't want them there. And so they're sent from their home with nothing. But God was using that, even that hard thing, to help care for people in the process. And so Priscilla and Aquila they come to Paul and they happen to both be tent makers, right? That would be so. Here's the equivalent of that. Like if I make my money roasting coffee, because we don't have a huge church, right? Uh, and like that would be like the equivalent today of being like, oh, you're a, you're a coffee roaster too, uh, and like in in uh, lots of. Church circles, church leaders, they use this phrase tent maker. You're a tent maker, which just means, oh, you do another job also. So what Paul would do is he would make tents, sell them. Corinth's a perfect place for that. Because remember, people are just passing through for a few days. They need somewhere to lay their head. Here's a tent for you, right? So he's making some money, but he's also serving the people who are passing through. But he's doing it in a way that it funds his ministry of going and sharing the good news of Jesus to the Jews and the Gentiles, right? So these people, they happen to be tent makers too. They settle down together. They start working on tents together. They also just so happen to believe this good news of Jesus. And they just so happen to be there at the time Paul needs them. That Paul has friends now who can walk through the craziness of Corinth together with him. Sometimes that's how God shows up, right? Right? God said, don't worry, I'm with you. He says, I got people there. Sometimes the way he's with us is through people, right? It's through community. It's through brothers and sisters who can walk through the hard stuff of life with us and can encourage us, right? But also, sometimes we we, we need to feel God's presence, don't we? And we don't always feel it. And sometimes in the hard stuff, we're going like, what is going on, God? Where are you? I think this word is really good for us right now because I think there's probably in this room, and I know right here in this person, there's, a, there's often a lot of anxiety, fear, doubts, questions, and, and that fear is not based on, I'm worried somebody's going to come and do physical harm to my body today. That's not it. The fear is all of these things around us in this world and what it has to offer and how it's falling apart. Both of those things can lead you maybe into these moments of despair, right? And maybe it could lead you into moments of giving up and giving in to it. Jesus comes to Paul and he reminds him these words, hey, I'm with you. He doesn't say don't be afraid just because no one's gonna hurt you. And we do see that. Like when he's brought before people, the dude's like, "I don't." The the Greek official, he's like, "I don't even care. Like, stop bothering me with this stuff, right?" So he's not harmed. What happens is the Jewish religious leader of the temple, the synagogue, he gets beat up afterward. So it's like Jesus is like, "Don't worry, you're not going to get harmed. The harm comes to another person." Uh, but Paul's been harmed before, right? That's not that's not what he needs to hear. He doesn't say, don't be afraid because you're not going to be harmed alone. He says, don't be afraid because I am with you. Now, here's what I really want us to hear this morning, you guys, is that message is not just to Paul. That message, the Lord has been saying to us over and over again, time and time again. I have a tattoo on my right arm here from Jeremiah and in Jeremiah 1, he says these words. I think I have it up on the screen. Jeremiah 1 8. You can ask me about the tattoo later. Jeremiah 1 8, God says to Jeremiah, someone he's sending to speak his words to his people, a prophet, Do not be afraid of anyone. For what? Because you're not going to get harmed? No, he says, For I will be with you, right? I will be with you to rescue. This is the Lord's declaration. There's another prophet who heard those words and shared it with the people of God too in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign, right? And he's talking about this is when Jesus would be born. This is a prophecy of what's to come. That Mary the virgin would give birth, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Now we got to understand what that word means, right? Emmanuel. Anytime, kids, if you see, like, if you read that, you you hear or see the word L, E L, in the Old Testament. That's a Hebrew word that means God. Okay? But Emmanuel is like a full statement, it's like a sentence. Not just God, but it actually means God with us. God will be with you. That's the promise. Matthew starts off with this reminder of that promise as he's retelling the birth of Jesus. In Matthew one twenty-three, he actually quotes that exact thing that just happened. See, the virgin will become pregnant, give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which, thank you, Matthew, for spelling this out for us. He, he tells us, translated, God is with us. Now, not coincidentally, Matthew starts with that promise. And it ends, the very last verse in the book of Matthew, ends with Jesus saying these words in Matthew 28, verse 20. He's sending his disciples to go and share the good news, to make more disciples, to teach them everything he's taught them and everything they've seen from him, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he says, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. God is with us. This is the promise of Jesus. And it's the promise for all disciples going forward, not just for those 11 that he sent out on that day, but for you and I here now the promise is that God is with you because that's exactly who Jesus was. It was God coming down to be with humanity. And when Jesus dies and rises again and then he goes to be with the Father, he's not just going on vacation, right? He's not just trying to get away from us for a while. He says, I'm going to prepare a home for us to dwell in together. That one day we would actually live eternally with God with us. We would see him face to face. And all fear and anxiety and doubts and all that would be gone. And in the meantime, he doesn't just leave you to figure it out until he comes back. He says, I will be with you. I'm with you always. And his, his disciples are wondering how, right? Like they're, they're confused and they're scared and they're hiding. And then the spirit of Jesus comes upon them. That same spirit is present here today. Whether you feel him or not, he's present in this room, right? Right? He's present in the times we're singing and it's really fun and you feel it inside, but he's also present in the hard things, right? He's present in the conversations I have to have later on. He's present when I mess up and I have to apologize. And then everybody sees it, right? He's present in all of these moments. This is God with us. Paul, don't be afraid, Don't be afraid of the temptation going on around you. You guys, do you know since 2020, like this is what they can account for statistically, which means it's probably a whole lot worse than this, that anxiety has gone up by 25% in our culture. Honestly, that number sounds low to me just from conversations I have with people. From my own experience anxiety has gone up 25%. Why? Because everything seems to be falling apart around you and there's all these different thoughts and ideas going on around us and there's these temptations to try to figure out a different way. I want us to hear God is still saying, hey, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I'm still present with you and I will walk through this with you and one day Jesus will return and we will experience God with us eternally forever. Bless you. Now, Paul stays there a year and a half in the place where he felt the most fear. He stays there a year and a half where he was in three days in other places, a few days here and there, before he finally goes back home to where he started in Antioch. And that's how chapter 18 ends. This is the end of his second missionary journey, okay? He goes back home. He gets some rest at Antioch for a while. We'll pick back up next week what happens after that. But he lives there with them where there's all this chaos going on around him. And he can live faithfully present, right? Just as we are hearing of, of being faithfully present with coworkers who are feeling the chaos of life around them, allowing them to come and, and cry and share with you. Now, listen, we, we can also cry and share, right? Uh, but to be faithfully present and offer some hope and some peace and some joy in the midst of that. That's what Paul was able to do. That's what Timothy and Silas, who came and joined him, were able to do. Priscilla and Aquila were able to do because they experienced the presence of Jesus with them. I don't know about you guys, but, but I think we need to be praying to taste and see that the Lord is good, right? To experience Emmanuel, to experience God with us. But listen, even when you don't feel it, know that it's true. Know that he has not given up. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He has not abandoned you. God has never pulled his hand off of his creation. He has never backed away from his people. This is his earth, his world, and you are his people. You are his sons or daughters, and he loves you deeply. Now, those of us may be sitting in this room who like maybe you've been showing up to church a lot, but maybe you don't actually like have given your life to Jesus. I want you to know that's the invitation is that Jesus can be with you in all of the hard stuff of life. It doesn't make everything better instantly though. I want to be clear on that. It doesn't mean the hard things go away, right? It means that you have the power and the presence of the living God with you in the midst of it. So Paul then, he didn't have to be afraid of people or places. He didn't have to be afraid of the place of Corinth. He didn't have to be afraid of the people there, but he could actually press in and love them. Do you know that that phrase in the Bible that says, perfect love casts out fear? When we know the love and the presence of God with us, we could enter into places that were once fearful to us, And we could have relationships with people that we once had a fear of because maybe they live life differently than us, but we can move toward them in love and share good news with them and invite them too to also experience, like I'm inviting all of us now, to experience the presence of Jesus.